Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at MarksDailyApple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at PrimalBlueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Very happy to introduce our next guest. He's the New York Times bestselling author of a book you've probably seen all over the place called Unfuck Yourself. Great title, great book. Gary John Bishop is a leading personal development expert with a global reputation. He's impacted tens of thousands of people worldwide, from athletes and celebrities to Fortune 500 executives, stay-at-home moms and dads. His urban philosophy approach has caused miraculous results for people, and we're going to get into that today. Welcome to the show. Hi, great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love uh, well, love the title of your book, of course, very catchy, and also the content within. You know, I noticed, uh, I love that you drop a lot of philosopher quotes in there, and specifically, you kind of open up and drop an Epictetus quote that I really love, and one of the things that um, I love about that philosopher, or how we would look in hindsight um, at his work is that he kind of taught philosophy as a way of life and not just a theoretical discipline. And I think that's kind of a, a theme of your book, right? Is to make this practical. Right. Uh, that's a great observation, by the way. Um, I can tell you've read it and not only have you read about it, read it, but you've thought about it. Um, part of my problem with philosophy is that it's too interested in itself rather than who it's designed for. <laughs> so, yeah, being, having a philosophy degree, I would agree. Yeah. Right, right. So there's a lot of, um, like, and there's a, there's a lot of uh, discussion in philosophy about what's right or what's accurate or whatever, rather than how useful is this. Um, and so that's my approach. I, I read, I don't read, like, tons of philosophy, although compared to probably to your average person, I probably do. Um, and I'm certainly not. I certainly don't have your your knowledge or the depth of of your study behind me. But I'm interested in looking at philosophy and saying, okay, how does that apply to me if I've just lost my job, or how does that apply to me if I've been struggling in a relationship? And I and I really spend the time to deliver it to people in such a way that it clicks and it makes sense. Um, so you know, sometimes people read my stuff and they say, you know, well, there's nothing new in here which I always have a little chuckle at, you know, like it's, it has to be now for it to make a difference. <laughs> um, so, but I think if you approach something, you could approach something you already know, think about it, dwell on it, and pe- peel it apart for yourself. And you'll find that a lot of stuff you already know can surprise you and enlighten you and, and empower you to, to, to produce significant change in your life. Yeah, let's start with, you know, one of the quotes uh, you have in there, which is just a great saying, which is, you know, God has entrusted me with myself, myself. So I love your, you have so many great um, snippets and sayings and affirmations in this book, but I love it. It's stop blaming luck, stop blaming other people, stop pointing to outside influences or circumstances and stop blaming your childhood or neighborhood. So let's get into that because later on in the book, you talk about how, you know, you spend more time and effort in the past than you do in your future. And that's the effing problem. So let's get into the trusting oneself and stop looking back in these blames that we have here. Yeah. So, so, you know, in my experience of people, which is not insignificant, I, I, if you talk to 
10 people, you'll find something out. If you talk to 10,000 people, you might find something else out. And if you talk to probably 50 or 60,000 people like I, like I have, you'll find something else out again. And and I don't mean just talk. I mean, like, so really get into what is it that drives a human being. And, um, and then uh, by and large, we live with this illusion that somehow what's been always has to be the template for what's to come. Um, so we talk about things like, you know, I'm from this kind of family, therefore I'm this kind of person. I'm from this kind of location, therefore I'm this kind of person. I've, I've done this with my life to this point, therefore I'm this. And we don't realize that all of that, all of that is actually starting to shape what's possible for the future. It's already got some sort of limitation to it. And so when we fail, one of the things that we love to have as human beings, this is a part that I haven't been able to work out yet, um, but we we rarely take responsibility for how it is. And I'm, when I say responsibility, I don't mean blame or fault. I mean, we actually sit there and go, okay, well, here I am. This is a mess. You know, this is my life. I made this mess. Other people might have participated in this with me, but here I am. I made certain choices and here I am. And and f- the failure to do that actually sucks the life out of you because what we do is we start to indulge why I'm here, right? So I'm here because, you know, my dad did this or didn't do this. My mom did this or didn't do this um, or this traumatic event happened in my past. Therefore, I'm X, Y, or Z. And it perpetuates this past that is long since gone. So it, it actually it allows it to continue and be the defining um, element of your existence. And and we're addicted to it, by the way. It's like a no kidding addiction, right? We have yep. to talk. And we get our friends together and we all talk. Oh, yeah, you were like, oh, yeah, we were like, That's, oh, yeah, it's terrible. Oh, my gosh. I mean, give me a hug. Which, you know, I love a hug like anybody else. And, and I'll. And, I, and also, there's a great value in being able to communicate what you've dealt with. But there has to be some point where you say, and that's that. And because your life really, if you don't start interrupting that sort of stuff, your life will, con- you will die with that defining your existence. Rather than having some as yet uh, unexplored future defining your existence like you're being called forth by something greater than whatever has been and and that's what i'm fundamentally interested in i'm fundamentally interested in people using their imagination and living that life rather than using what they know which includes by the way what they've cherry picked um to define how this thing's going to go let me ask you on you know i did a post not too long ago kind of on the stop blaming your childhood notion, which was, um, you know what, if you had a crappy childhood, here's the solution, parent yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who's like, yeah, but you know, there's people that are 50 years old, still, still, still wallowing in their circumstances based on the past. What would you say to someone who's like, well, you know what, that's easy for you to say, you know, but I grew up with this kind of father who did that. And that's why I have trouble in relationships. And, you know, you had a different upbringing. So, so that's different. What would you say to that kind of objection? Well, the first thing I usually say is, so what? (laughs) yeah right and i really say so what right like every time you talk that stuff into existence that is your existence the reality is every single human being has cherry-picked their past so everybody's done it so even in the most crappy of childhoods right like your father might have beaten you 
Your mother might have locked you in a closet. Your neighbor might have molested you. Those items become the defining items. So it's not like, and, and I understand that. Look, it's not like, you know, you've done something wrong by doing that. What you have to start realizing is, oh, that's what I've done. Like there were days in your life and your childhood when you had a great day, great thing happened. And we don't focus on that, right? It was that's the most the fun story. day of your life, right? Or somebody demonstrated some modicum of generosity or, you know, and I'm not saying this in a vacuum, like I don't get it. You know, if I look back at my own childhood, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it like a Hollywood script one that you'd see in a Disney movie, right? I would certainly wouldn't call it that. But I've certainly started to take responsibility for the degree to which I had blamed my parents for how I turned out, right? And I'd done a lot of that, by the way, in my 20s and 30s, like, oh, yeah, you should have, and then you should have, and you should never have. And, you know, and it was, was it challenging at times in my childhood? Yeah. But when I sat and I took stock, you know, I played a lot of soccer as a kid. I loved playing soccer. It was freaking awesome. I had friends as a kid who were very close to me and they were awesome. And there were some other kids that were complete jerks to me, but you know, that's, that's or certainly was part of growing up in my environment. And, and I could see that I'd used those events to justify how I am now. Right. Well, I'm not good at this because of that. Right. But you could equally make the same case that, all right, well, let me look at that aspect of my childhood. How could I have that cause how I am now? Like, those great days or those great events or that, or even most of all that you're alive, which is the greatest gift of all. Like it turned out for you, right? I mean, you're right. alive. You <laughs> got a shot here. And, and it's amazing, even from what you said, right? Like people will actually fight for the crap they're in. They'll, they'll actually argue for it. So you'll say, all right, well, here's what I'd like you to do. Oh, I can't do that. All right, well, you should try that. No, I can't do that either. Like they'll actually, rather than like, all right, give me what you got and give me everything you got so that I can get the insight that you got for myself and free myself from whatever constraint that I've locked myself into. So it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me the degree that people will fight for their own misery. Yeah, that's pretty amazing and something to really uh, simmer on. And that goes into... Basically, uh, you know, you say the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. So let's get into that yeah. and starting to, how does one start to go about changing their thinking? Yeah. You know, they're in a victim, their friends are going, so what? Get over it. You're 50. Stop blaming your yeah. <laughs> your childhood teacher or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, or you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to make it because my boss won't promote me. You know, whatever the excuse or objection is. Right. But um, how does one go about changing the quality of their thoughts because their happiness depends on it. Right. So part, I think part of the illusion, one of the reasons why I wrote this book um, was because I really felt as if people were saying things to other people with the best intention in the world that was woefully out of touch with what it is to actually be a human being. Right. So like change your thoughts, change your life. Right. Um, and then so people would, you would actually start, I, I see this stuff online all the time, like control your thoughts. Yeah, good luck with that one. You know, like, I mean, I mean, there are just days when they're just running rampant in your head, you know, like you have the most out of sync thought. And I'm, I'm always, I'm reminded by, I went to this dinner party with my wife, this was about 
20 years ago or something. And it was all these kind of like really well-to-do, like the kind of old school Manhattan crowd, you know, you know, these gentlemen and ladies. And, I, you know, I'm a guy from Glasgow. I totally was like, oh, crap, what am I doing here? <laughs> and I was talking to this woman and she was like, oh, and she was just so, you know, delightful. And, and she was great. I mean, she, look, she was awesome, right? And then this thought crossed my mind. She was an older lady, probably, in, you know, well, so that's subjective, but in her 70s or something. And I had this thought, like, I wonder what they'd all do if I pushed that over. Now, I'm not in the business of pushing ladies over. That's not what I do. But, man, I could not <laughs> stop that thought in the middle of that dinner party. Like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? So so that illusion is, like, somehow you can control your thoughts. What I say to people is, look, start to deal with your thoughts. Start to embrace that you're, that you're having them. Or rather, to be more accurate, your thoughts are happening where you are. Right? So there's those thoughts. There they go again. And this is the part where you actually have a say. The part where you have a say is, all right, I'm, I can either I can either indulge that thought and start to act accordingly, right? So, like, today's going to be a terrible day. All right, now, you can act accordingly. You can go in there with a set sense of dread. You can start to prepare and organize yourself so that it's not a terrible day, right? Like, oh, I'll, I'll go in with a happy heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is really just more of a reaction to some random thought you had, right? Rather than, well, there's the thought. Today's going to go the way it goes. I'm capable. I can handle this. This isn't new to me. So I think what, what I would say to people is embrace the negativity. See it for what it is, which is these random, repetitive, reoccurring thoughts you have. And realize that they're not the truth. They're not the truth. It's just there. Like it it would it really is the equivalent at times of placing significance on that your toenails grow. Like, oh my toenails are growing. It's terrible thing. <laughs> it just You're saying you're and you're making that comparison as like, hey, that is just what it is. Like these things happen. So you're it would be as ridiculous as spending time on the toe growing. Is that what you mean? Right. I mean, look, if you think about like You'll, and you'll notice, by the way, of all the thoughts you have, there are only certain ones you gravitate towards, right? Like a thought, like a very common one for people is if you scrape away all the nonsense and you get to a really like a core one, which is a, which is a part of my new book, by the way, I talk about your own personal internal dialogue, like what's yours really about. But a very common aspect for people is something like, I'm not good enough, Right. Yeah, let's simmer on that one. All right. So I'm not good enough is a throwback to some failure in your past. Okay. So there was some point of failure in your past. Invariably, when you were a kid, when you experienced failure, and it was also part of that process of growing up. So you become a little, you become more of the observer in life as you get older uh, rather than a participant. So if you, I've, I've got little ones, you know, like my youngest is four. He's a participant. Okay, he participates, and he participates in everything that's going around him. Okay, I have a thirteen-year-old. He participates, but now he's observing a lot, like he's kind of looking at what's going on around him. That process continues until you get old, until you're just an observer. Even though people think they're participants, like oh, I'm a full participant in my life, you'd be amazed. Um, but in that process, there's these 
kind of key points of your life where you come to what I call conclusions. And once you get that conclusion, it's there. There's no, you know, there's no, you can't meditate your way out of this stuff, okay? And a, and a very common one is I'm not good enough. But there's other ones like I'm not loved or I'm not smart enough, right? But I'm not good enough is a very common one. It becomes a recurring theme. You start to measure your life moving forward. And then you have these periods where you don't notice it because things are going well. And then when things don't go well, you fail or you're stressed or you're pressed or whatever it is, up it comes. And the thought itself has absolutely got nothing to do with it. It's a recurring thought that allows you to keep striving, allows you to keep competing with yourself, allows you to keep surviving this life. It's little more than a survival mechanism, really. You know, that goes into sort of like when you spoke about your son being a participant, yeah. you know, in that phase, and kind of then want to lead, lead into your call to action. You know, the I am not my thoughts, I am what I do, yeah. um, and being relentless. So let's talk about that missing component to people. You know, they're simmering yeah. here in the past in their head, and then, you know, you're like, hey, you need to leapfrog into yeah. action and what you do. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So um, like I said, there's obviously we're all talking to ourselves, okay? We're all talking to ourselves about various things as we go through the day. Um, and what, we, what, we, what we've come and, – and this is more of the kind of voodoo that's in my industry, you know, like your thoughts become your life, and they don't. Your thoughts only become your life when you act in alignment with them. So your thoughts become your life when you do what you just thought, right? So I can't do it. All right, so you act accordingly. That's your life. Um, it's too much. So you act accordingly. That's your life. They don't like me. I act accordingly. That's my life. Like you're, if, As long as your actions are in this dance with your thoughts, then, yeah, your thoughts – can become your life, but they're not your life. And I say, and by the way, what I'm saying isn't new. I mean, you know, it's well, it's just kind of like been around for a long, long time. That if you acknowledge your thoughts, if you're like, okay, there they are. However, what is an action that I could take now that would be in alignment with my greatest self rather than whatever that thought was, right? So, my um, internal dialogue, if you like, or a critical component of it is built around the notion that I'm not smart enough, okay? When I, you can imagine how that was going insane when I was writing my book, <laughs> right? I mean, that was just, you know, and I'm trying to do research. You're like, who do I think I am? Is oh, that kind my of thought? gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then when it's like, okay, so it's, now it's time to publish, I'm like, well, well, you know, hold off a minute. I mean, you know, let's take some time to think about that. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't want any part of... And what I really didn't want any part of was being exposed as not smart enough, you know. So, and that's really the key to all of this. It's not like it, there's this side of it, like okay, I'm not smart enough or good enough or whatever it might be. But what you're really out to avoid is that it gets exposed, right? So, so I took an action that was consistent with the future that I'd created for myself, like what I was really up to as a human being, and I realized that releasing a book was consistent with that rather than consistent with what I thought of myself. So that was a moment where I was able to intervene with myself, or as I call it, interrupt the drift of who I'd become and step out there into the unknown, into the uncertain, where, you know, I'm going to get judged and all that stuff, but, you know, everybody's getting judged. So I'd, I'd rather get judged for something that was my self-expression than my fear. 
And so I I went for it and I and I continue to go for it in that internal dialogue for um I'm not smart enough. It never goes anywhere. It rises and it falls and it rises and it falls. Which is when I came up with the whole thing for being relentless. Like being relentless is when I say I'm committed to writing this book and I'm fully committed to it. And I've there were so many days when that when my how I felt about that commitment was at an all-time low when I wanted to avoid it or get away from it. But what I said to myself is, no, get yourself over to the laptop, start typing, and get it done. And I and it wasn't it wasn't a um it's not something I'm particularly uh, facile at, I would say, like being relentless like that. It was something I had to learn, like how to keep bringing myself to something regardless of how I felt. And I learned another really important thing in that process, by the way, which was my success is clearly a product of the way that I relate to what I told myself I would do. And it's never mm-hmm. anything can you, other than- Can you like clarify that one? That's yeah. a good, that's a juicy one. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So you and I and everybody listening, by the way, tell yourself you're going to do stuff and then you don't do it. And you tell yourself not to do it by seemingly like valid reasons, justifications, stuff like that. Like, well, you know, it's it's been a terrible month for me, so I'm not going to. Or it's been, I, I've got this on my plate, so I'm not going to. Or I can't. But if you scratch away at some of that, you'll, you'll see, often you'll see that you're backing out due to some typical cyclical internal state. And I realized that I had to be able to go beyond how I feel, which is one of the reasons why I love Stoic philosophy and existentialism, because it encourages you to to kind of go beyond how you feel. It's not like how you feel isn't important. In my experience, it's just not as important as we've made it, right? It's just, it's important, but it's not critical. So it's important that I feel this way, but it's not critical to what I'm about to do next. So I started to realize that um, if I wanted to fulfill on great things, I'd have to make certain promises to myself that this is what I'm doing, right? So, you know, releasing the book was one, like, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing it. And I actually gave it a date, right? It was 2016. I self-published first and uh, it, was two, it was October 2016. And I'm this is on, I'm doing this. And I so resisted that promise to myself. I so pushed back on it and pushed back on it. But I kept returning myself to it. I, I really made the promise that I made to myself far more important than how I felt about the promise. And that also included the promise that I made to myself was far more important than anything that might come up between now and that time when I said I would do it, when I said I would have it done by. So there was lots of stuff that came my way, you know, like family stuff and, you know, career stuff and you know, just so much junk in my life. But the promise was pristine. I, I was, mm. I refused to have to bend it. I wouldn't, I'm not, I will not bend this. This will not bend. This is getting done and it's getting done by that time. And the way I related it to it was a little, I mean, it's a little oldie worldy, right? But still, <laughs> but as a matter of my honor, mm. I, like this, I'm, I'm going I like that. I want to highlight that. That's such a pro me thought. That is such a self-worth thought. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, there's aspects of history that are completely useless and we don't, we shouldn't ever do that. But one of the things that people used to do, 
was they would they would declare things, they would make promises. And it was the promise was now had was now held in like a greater esteem than their own life. So they made the use they they had statements like my word is my bond. Right? Like um my like now we want cash, right? Because <laughs> we don't believe you. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's yeah. Thanks for the bag of rice, but I'll take some cash. Right. right. Like uh, you know, if you try and buy a house and they say, So, you know, we need a deposit, my word is my bond. See how that goes, right? <laughs> But but back in the day, among certain groups of society, that actually was enough because people were expected to act in a way that was consistent with what they said they would do. Um, so I, well, I, I want to highlight that as just something everyone should adopt, right? right. Do what you say you're going to do. People are more trusted when they are reliable and dependable and follow right. through. And right. so that's you know wonderful. Yeah, right. And then it ties into you're not your thoughts; you are what you do. Right. Right. Because, well, you know, and I want to, I want to kind of not backtrack, but I want to highlight. So when you were talking about the moments, you know, first of all, so you self-published initially, right? Yeah. So I want to just highlight that, like, that's a huge leap. You don't have an agent or a manager, no one. You're just like, I'm going to do this anyway. So that's even more bold as F uh, than, you know, uh, and by the way, you know, uh, the owner of our company, Mark Sisson, self-published his first book, The Primal Blueprint, and that completely blew his world up as well in the most positive way. Um, And I want to go back to, so when you're having those uncomfortable moments, this goes into sort of the whole, you know, you're, you're, notion of like the greater degree of discomfort you experience, right? The greater right. The difficulty that the greater the sense of personal accomplishment. Right. And so from going to self-published to now New York Times bestseller, you know, with this book, I mean, wow, we can see that in action and you still worked through that uncomfortability. Yeah. And I'm still doing it. Like it's not, it's not going anywhere because I'm, I'm as human beings, as we get older, we become really like we want new things, but we don't want anything to change. So I want new things, but I don't want anything to change. If you look back in your life, if you look back to when you were a teenager or in your 20s, you were all about that change and you were bold about it. Like you just took it on. I mean, people go to college 2,000 miles away from where they were raised. They walk in the first day and they're like, I'm kind of nervous. And within two weeks, they're like in their zone, right? Within two weeks. Try doing Mm -hmm. that when you're 60. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You'd be all over the place. Oh, it's too much. I can't. I mean, I kind of like my old neighborhood. I, I prefer to knowing where I'm going because that certainty becomes like an elixir. It's like, can I, you know, you're you're sedated by your own certainty. But, yeah, and I love I, you talk about, you know, I love this. Uncertainty is where new happens, right? And that leads into like, you know, not thinking things are possible. Right. Right. But the the possibility is looking at the current reality based on your past right. also conclusions. Right. And that is, you know, it's funny. Recently I had a friend who um had some amazing things happen to them and they all seemingly like you could have never predicted, right? And I would guarantee that the best thing that's happened to people listening and things in your life were things you could not have planned, you mm-hmm. could not have seen coming. So it's like embrace the unknown because that's where the good new shit is yeah. happening. And I'd love you to just yeah, get into that. Yeah. So so <laughs> So the illusion is, is there is actual certainty. That's the illusion, right? So we live in a chaotic world. It's, I mean, random stuff just happens all the time, right? People die tragically. 
you know, there's natural disasters. I mean, it's chaotic. The only people who are trying to make it certain are human beings. So animals are just kind of dancing with the chaos. You know, they're like, okay. They just dance with it. And, they, and, they're, and they're there for what's there in that moment. They're not trying to predict what's coming or prevent what's been. So, so certainty is a human phenomenon. And it's an illusion. And again, if you look back in your past, you'll see all the great things you ever did in your life, all of them. Becoming a parent, going to college, starting a business. You did them in that domain of uncertainty. You were in it. You were dancing with it. You were responding to it. You were learning like it was new. And that's the, that is the paradigm of the domain of the new. So you can't produce new results and do old things, right? I know that's a bit bumper stickery, right? Like it's kind of, oh, yeah, I've seen that on Facebook. But that's the reality of it. And, you know, if you if you think about your current life, you'll see it's peppered with the predictable. It's it's built around the certain. There's nothing wrong with the certain. It's just no way to live a life if you're somebody who says I'm up to something. Because if you're somebody who's up to something, you better start getting yourself a little more I don't want to say comfortable with, I mean, maybe that is the word, but a little a little more um, open to the notion of, of the uncertainty that surrounds you, right? And, and you know, look, you can't write a book, you can't start a business, you can't become a parent, you can't get married, you can't move to a new city, you can't da-da-da-da-da-da-da without, at whatever level, without dealing with the uncertainty that will arise there. And and I've become so accustomed to it now. I mean, I, I love the uncertainty. Like I love, I'm learning new things when I'm in the uncertain. I'm like, oh wow, I never do that. Oh, that's cool. Oh, how about this? And you know, like I mean, from self-publishing my book, what I've learned about writing books and and publishing and like the whole world. It's like it's awesome. It's so inspiring. Um, and and again, I never always felt that way, but I do now. Like I. I love the uncertainty. I want to dance in the uncertainty because one of these days I'm going to die and I don't want to be sitting there in the last two minutes saying to myself, oh, I should have just, you know, moved house or I should have just bought that car or I should have just stepped out there and wrote that book or started that business. I, I, I'm, I'm committed that when I die, I'm ready to go. Like I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't want to die well rested and with stuff left in the tank. You know, I want all the, I want, and I'm not doing like crazy risks. It's not like, okay, let's get the family together. We're going to go and live as paupers in India. I'm not doing that. Right. But at the same time, I'm willing to go beyond my comfort, my certainty, and to find out what's out there. I'm way more interested in what I think I can't do than what I think I can. I love that, and it, it's um, and if it doesn't work out, oh well, then you're right back where you started, so you lost nothing, right? Exactly. So why not take the leap? And you know, I just want to share a brief story. I, I at one point in my life was like, oh, I, uh, I really love stand up paddling, and I and my cousin competes, and I was like, I'm going to compete too. I'll get sponsored, like that would be so much fun. And so um, I had always kind of wanted to do a race, uh, and I was really charged up, and I did a race, and I actually won. But here's the thing, like four strokes into this event, I was like, this sucks. I never want to compete at this again. This is not how I like to stand up paddle. I'm in a rush. I'm trying to get somewhere. I just want to enjoy. And so the thing though is, is that I, if I never tried it, if I didn't go and try that, I'd still be here today going, you know, what about that? 
What could, you know what I mean? What about that? So I found out I didn't like it. Oh, well, that's okay. That's way better now. I'm resolved. Like, okay, I tried it. I didn't even like it. I didn't know I wasn't going to like it. Um, I thought I'd love it. I was pumped up, but I didn't. And that's okay. But I tried it. Yeah, right. And, and I, and I think that's the other thing you need to, that people need to start to realize you're a survival machine. So, and, and I mean like a machine. When it goes down, when your life goes down, all that machinery kicks in. I mean, it might be challenging, it might be really challenging, but you'll handle it. You have a track record for making it. How do you know? Feel your pulse. You got a track record for making it. You'll know what to do. Um, we we it's amazing to me, you know, I've I've coached lots and lots and lots of different people from lots and lots and lots of different cultures and backgrounds and and success is a funny thing. We take all the risks and expose ourselves and dance in the uncertainty and then accomplish it. And then we start trying to protect it. We start trying to replicate it. And we lose sight of what got us there. (laughs) We lose sight of what it took. And that the next level of success or the next element of success, you know, I'm a little hesitant to call it levels, but the next element of success will require you to expose yourself to that. You know, like I, I have marketing people that I use Uh, for my stuff to put it out there and they're constantly frustrated by me because roughly every 12 months i burn everything to the ground and start again (laughs) right and they're like well well, we're just getting now done next and then what what are we going to do with we're done come on let's go let's build something new let's start a new empire let's build a new you know and i'm and i'm really fascinated by that beginner's mind and and exposing myself to things that i'd never thought i could and and I'm not even taking stock. It's not like, oh, yeah, my progress has been good. I'm, who cares? What's next? You know what I mean? Um, and, I, and, I, and to me, that's that's the real opportunity of being alive. It's to treat life like it's some kind of grand experiment rather than some, I don't know, passage to the end or something, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, your your book really is about getting out of your head, jumping into your life, right? You know, moving into action and doing and um, and overcoming, really. I, love, I mean, I love this. You're just like, in your book, you're like, you know, stop doing all the shit you know you shouldn't be doing. Start doing all the shit you know you should be doing. Because half of the thoughts are about the shit we're not doing, right? And want to do. Half the thoughts are, you know, right. oh, I got to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. I mean, I've been there as a writer and yeah. someone who's putting out creative content when you're the only person doing it. You know, you're it for you. Um it takes motivation, yeah. but uh, you've got where where would someone start? You know, someone's got some dream or something. Yeah. I mean, how can they take one step, you know, a couple steps into that? And, yeah. and if they're inspired by this conversation to go, oh man, this guy, he 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 kind of struggled a little bit through writing and self-published his own book. You just went and did it, you made that commitment. My word is my bond. Yeah. How do how do we get started there? I always like to tell people that the first step you gotta do is you got to really look at how you've screwed yourself over. Not just like, oh yeah, I've screwed myself over. But you got to really look at how you did it, right? Because it's critical to know that, right? People talk about being aware. And a lot of people use that that word these days. Oh yeah, self-aware or I'm aware. or And mostly what they're talking about is I'm a little more sensitive to what other people are saying, right? That's really kind of like where, where, where awareness has ended up. For me... My awareness comes down to I'm completely at the source of, like absolutely I'm clear about 
the ways in which I'll screw myself over and the subtleties and the nuances and how it'll creep up on me without even really realizing that's what it is. So, so then how do I, if, cause you're so in it often you can't see it, right? You're so in your own kind of self-destructive, you're like, um, so what uh, I invite people to try one of two things. One would be pick a day, pick a day, any day next week, open up your calendar and plan it, right? And plan that single day, one single day. And then when you wake up in the morning, do that day exactly according to your calendar, right? Do it exactly according to it. So if you've got breakfast from 7.15 to 7.30, then you would eat breakfast at 7.15 and end it at 7.30. And I really mean with that kind of precision, like minute to minute and monitoring your time all the way through the day, like, you know, emails from nine till 9.45, right? And you line up the whole day and then bed by 10.30, right? And your job is to make sure minute by minute you, with that kind of precision, like a Swiss clockmaker, you're adhering to what you put in your calendar, right? You got to notice two things. One, your internal dialogue about it as you're doing it, right? You're going to have lots of opinions. Can't do it. It's too much. I'm in a hurry. Why did I do this? Da, 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 right? That'll be there. Two, by the end of the day, you'll notice how effective you can be. Like you could be that effective. And you'll see that in your day-to-day life, by the way, you're mostly operating at about 30 to 35% of your actual effectiveness. Um, so that's one way. And then another way is make a simple promise to yourself, right? So I promise to walk two miles every day for a week. And I'm going to start at 8 a.m. And hold yourself to the promise. And you'll see that not only can you do it, but you could live your life completely given by what you've promised. I like the being held accountable to oneself and the practice of that and the benefits at the end of realizing that it's all you. If you schedule it, if you plan it, and you do, you can do it. You just have to map it out. And that's a great way to start to be accountable to oneself. Um, I'd love you to touch on this notion and explain what you mean by cutting out the middleman of expectation. Yeah. Um, if you talk to people about expectations, I, you know, it's really funny because I'll say to people will say, oh, I had a really terrible day. And I'll say, well, that's your expectations. And they'll say, no, no, I wasn't expecting anything. It was a terrible day. Right. And people will say this. Over and over and over, I've heard people say this. No, no, I had no expectations going in. No, you had no expectations that you were aware of going in. But with everything that you do, and I mean everything that you do, before you do it, you've got some idea as to how this is going to go. And sometimes it happens in a fleeting moment, but you are actually building in how this is either going to go or supposed to go. Whether it's you're pushing the front door at Starbucks, you're expecting that it's going to be a push. Or getting in a line at Starbucks and given your past experience of Starbucks, you're expecting this to last about seven minutes, <laughs> right? And it, in fact, ends up being 17. And now you're frustrated. What's the problem with the line in here? What are you guys doing back there? What's happening with the milk? Right? 
you don't realize that that's all your expectation as to how this was supposed to go. Or your partner comes in from work and they have, they're not in the best of mood. And you're like, what's up with you? Because in your mind, you don't realize you were already expecting them to come in in a good mood, right? Because you're in one, right? Or anyone, like I'm driving my car and it breaks down. Oh, these cars drive me insane. Well, you expected it not to break down, right? So you don't realize that most of your upsets are actually there by virtue of some, what I would call a hidden or an unknown expectation that you had in life. And often when you uncover a hidden expectation, you're kind of like, well, duh. No wonder I'm annoyed, right? I mean, I was totally, I'd set myself up for being annoyed. Like that was always going to be part of this. If it doesn't turn out, then I would be annoyed. So expectation is always creeping in in our lives, right? We expect people to be a certain way. We expect certain situations to be a certain way. We even get up and look at the weather. Oh, what? It's raining? <laughs> oh, come on, right? That's an expectation. I had an expectation that this would. So a great question I think to ask yourself is, huh, how did I think this was going to turn out? And then you'll see like the greater the emotional outburst you're having, points to the greater gap between how it is and what you were expecting. So if you're really upset by something, you'll find that where that item is, is quite a significant way away from where you expected it to be. None of that will make any difference to you. You'll never alter how things are if you keep indulging your expectation of how it was supposed to be. You're actually, you're pointed in the wrong direction, right? Like you can stand there and lose your mind at losing your job and you weren't expecting it or you at least expect it to be different or you can just get busy finding a new job. And and being excited um, about the unknown of all right, well this happened, and that's driving me into the unknown, the potential there. And you know, on, on expectations, you know, they've done so many studies, and the happiest people in the world are considered to be the Danes. And my stepfather's Danish, and I have seen this. He's like never has a bad day. He's always in a good mood. And one of the things they studied about the Danes was that. The reason they're the happiest people is that they don't have expectations. And what they mean by that, it's not that someone makes you a promise to come to your house and deliver you something and they don't do it and you're you're not going to hold them accountable. It's more about like what you're talking about. Things don't go the way you want. That line 17 minutes or da 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 da, they go with the flow. They don't and that's why they're the happiest. They just keep moving on. They're like, "All right, well, that happened. So what's next? Now how are we going to find a solution?" They're moving forward. They're not dwelling and sitting there having road rage in the car. Right. 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 And I think that's a great, it's a great, um, it's a great approach to have in life. You know, I, I think about 10 years ago, I took on the notion that I would be someone who, who solves things. Okay. So there's a world there. It's not just, I'm somebody who solves things. Um, it also includes, if I'm somebody who solves things, I'm also somebody who engages with things that don't work. So then it would be a little weird to get annoyed at that. Right. Like I'm somebody who solves things. What? Another problem. <laughs> but, but, but you're you're the guy who solves things. So I started to look forward to the problems. I started to get like, oh, this is I mean, it wasn't always the most comfortable. It wasn't always the most. I mean, it, some things it was really like really challenging stuff. Like, how do I pay my mortgage? 
right? Like, which is a real problem for a lot of people. How do I pay my cable bill or, you know, how do I get to work when I'm done in my last eight bucks and the cars get no gas in it? And, you know, I mean, those are real problems for people. Um, but then when you start to engage with it, okay, well, this is the problem. And I said I would be there by 9 a.m., example, for, you know, going to work. How do I fulfill on that 9 a.m., given where I'm at? Rather than just throw my arms up in there, well, I'll lie and I'll tell them I'm sick, right, which people do. I would say to somebody, no, go solve that problem for yourself. Call a neighbor and ask if he'll drop you off. Like, you know, whatever you got, get on your bicycle, whatever you got to do. Call up and ahead of time and say, look, I'm not going to be there by 9. I'm going to be there by 9.30. I'm walking, but I'm going to be there. Like, you're somebody who deals with those items rather than surrenders to Right, instead of back away, you are head on, right. right. You're right, and I go all in. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I enjoy a certain kind of standard of life now that for the first 50 years of my life, I'm 52, so for the first 50 years of my life, I never got to experience life from that perspective. Somewhere in my mind, I thought it would make life easier. It doesn't. It has not made life easier. But by the same token, I realized that you've got to be engaging with the life you have rather than trying to engage with the life you want. The life you want, you don't have that. You know, you can be taking actions to, to bring that to life, to make it real for yourself. But at the same time, if you're in a job you don't like, okay, I get that. But you should do that job with everything you've got. Why? Because that is the job you've got right now. Um, and I, and I say that to, to clients all the time. You've got to you've got to fully give yourself to the life you have if you're committed to changing it. You can't mail it in. You can't give yourself little bits. You can't live in resentment. That's not all of you. That's like your most negative self. Um, and it really is about you stepping out there. And, you know, I see this thing a lot where people talk about um, finding your purpose, which I'm, I'm not a fan of. And I'll tell you, I'm not a fan of it because it leaves you with the notion that you don't have purpose. Mm. And and the real key to being alive, in my opinion, and working with lots and lots of people is to live purposefully. That is, what is the point of me being alive? And you could live that way you know, working at Home Depot or your local vet or being an author or whatever it is, but that it is your full self-expression. Like you live with purpose. Now, that doesn't mean to say you've kind of resigned yourself to whatever job you might be in or, or, or career you might be in. You could still look for like other or, or th- callings that you feel are, are greater to you but you never sell out on the present and the pursuit of some future. You always make sure that in this moment, in this very moment of time, this is your greatest self-expression, your best, your greatest, your most loving, your most compassionate, your most determined, your most alive self, because you don't get a lot of these moments. And too many of us are wasting these moments and the hope that they'll get some ones that they want someday in the future. Really well said. And that leads into sort of the 
Mm, we're always uh, waiting, right? We're putting our lives off often, right? Uh, you're, and you say you're, you know, you're waiting yeah. on a feeling, right? Like oh, as soon as this happens, then I'll start dating, or you know, when I when I can do this, I'll, I'll, you know, then I can do that. And it's like, well, but do you want that? Then do it now. Um, but again, lots of so I just I love that notion, right? Like we're we're stop waiting for this feeling, right? Don't put your lives off, right? So so that's um, that's a big problem for us as human beings. Be- and it seems to me like more prevalent in the last probably 30 to 40 years where we're really kind of looking internally for cues um, as to what we should or shouldn't do. Um, and so so what we've kind of left ourselves with is, you know, some people say, well, I'm out in nature. I have this feeling. I feel in touch with stuff and I feel calm and empowered. And it feels like nature's doing that to us. And I understand that it feels like nature's doing to that, that to us. The reality is nature's not doing that to you. How do I know? Because I could put somebody else out there and they're hating every minute of it. What does that mean? Well, that means you're doing that to you. That means you are illuminating an experience of being alive with yourself. And sure, you as a an individual might go into certain situations and find that feeling or that experience easier to come to than in other situations. But to think that you couldn't illuminate that sort of experience of yourself in those other situations would be a mistake by you. Right. So your emotional state, your your sense of yourself, your aliveness, your joy, your love is all generated by you. You're doing that, right? It's, and, and I get it. I, I get why it seems like that's doing that to me, right? Like somebody gave me $1,000. Clearly money makes me happy, right? Not necessarily, right? And some people would say there are people who, who are out there in life who are looked to minimize. They don't want to make tons of money. They don't want to make, do this or do that with their lives. It doesn't do it for them. So, so it's really critical for you to get the, I mean, I talk about this in, in, in the book, I say, you are a miracle of being. What do I mean by that? I mean, I don't mean some kind of, you know, ethereal, mystical, magical, wispy sense of being. I mean, you are a human being and you have this capacity, like, and it's limitless capacity to be joyful, be loving. Be kind, be adventurous, be bold, and all of the thoughts and emotions and actions that come along with those states of being. I mean, if you got up tomorrow morning and you said to yourself, I'm taking on today being bold in everything that I do, you could change your life in a day. Yeah. Or I'm taking on being loving in that relationship where typically it's been tempestuous and I'm going to hold myself to being loving with that human being. However they are, that's up to them. But I'm unwilling to compromise who I am because of who they are or in, or in reaction to who they are. But rather, this is my opportunity to be myself, my greatest self. So, you know, when people say stuff like, you know, I'm speaking my truth, that usually means that's code for complaining. <laughs> right? Rather than your truth might be, Something more along the lines of, here's what I'm wrestling with right now, and I'm committed to being my greatest self right now in this moment of time. And so I'm way, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really all about, you know, my next book is very much along these lines. And the one after that is definitely going to be along these lines. It all begins with, it all ends with you. You are the one, you have the say on this experience of being alive. And your experience of being alive is your responsibility. So you got to really get tuned into you and keyed into you. Are people going to do jerky things? Yeah. Are people going to say and do things that you don't like? Yeah. And it's your responsibility. And I really mean that like it's incumbent upon you as a human being to, in those moments, determine who you really are in the face of that. And I don't mean being noble or something, by the way. I really mean taking a stand for it and having a say on who you really are. I love that. That's a, that's a great place to sort of wrap it up. I want to just sort of read from your book to the audience. You give seven personal assertions that I, I think are really inspiring. I am willing. I am wired to win. I got this. I embrace the uncertainty. I am not my thoughts. I am what I do. I am relentless. I expect nothing and accept everything. And that's what your book is all about. How can we connect with you? Tell us about, uh, we'll put all of the, the links to connect with you on social media and your website in the show notes, and you can get Unfuck Yourself on Amazon yeah. and everywhere else. It's it's all over the place. What, what's in the future yeah. here? You're already projecting two books in the future, which I like. That Talk about forward thinking yeah. <laughs> and goals. Yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, I've got uh, four books that I'm working on. Um, so, but the next book comes out May 7th. It's called Stop Doing That Shit. <laughs> and and it really is like like a blueprint for your internal dialogue. You'll actually see your internal dialogue. You'll actually see what yours is really all about and where it's driving you. And it's it it's you'll find it very eye opening. Um, so that's coming out in May seventh. You can connect with me online at my website garyjohnbishop.com. I I have a blog there. It's called the Asterisk. Um, um, also, you can catch up with me on Facebook. I've got about a quarter of a million followers there. I'm on Instagram and I'm, I'm active on social media. I'm on Twitter at Gary John Bishop for all those things. Um, and one of the things that I'm really committed to is that to get something from me or to get some insight or to get some, some, um, and what I would call enlightenment that is shining a light on something that's been in the dark for you. Um, you don't have to spend money. You know, you don't have to buy my books. I have some courses you can do. You don't have to do that. You can follow me online. You'll get tons of free stuff. Um, you know, I'm, my life is about making a difference for people. It's not about getting rich, making a difference for people. Um, I don't have like, you know, subscription programs. I just don't do all of that stuff. I could, and I've had lots of offers to do it. I just won't do it. I'm, I'm just really committed that people get what they need where they are. And if you can afford the, whatever it is, 15 or 20 bucks to buy a book, then, you know, go ahead and do it. If you feel as if it'll make a difference for you. If you can afford the 80 or 100 bucks to do an online course, and that's how much they cost, then you should do it, right? But you can get lots from reading my blog pieces, from signing up for my for my newsletter, for from seeing my social media stuff. You can get lots and lots and lots of great insights for yourself. Um, to me, that's the most important thing of all. Like it's, you know, I, I think philosophy is for everybody. I really do, and I really feel as if, there's so much, I mean, you'll know this, there's so much great wisdom and insight and power that already exists. You don't need some new, you know, abstract concept to try, twist around your brain. There's some great stuff with it, all the way from, 
you know, what I call the early existentialists, the Stoic philosophers, all the way through, right, up to Heidegger and Gadamer and Husserl and some of these guys from, you know, the early parts of the 20th century. Um, and, and I want to work with that stuff and give it to people in such a way that makes a big difference to their lives. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate uh, this conversation. Very inspiring. Great to have you on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.